Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Pack Country Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. And normally, they are released on a Monday, as the name implies, but today is a Tuesday. Steve, yesterday was a Monday that was a recovery day from Hunt Expo and getting back in town late. And you're probably hearing both of our voices that were not quite 100% today. Yeah, some... One of the handshakes out of the 10,000 <laughs> picked up a cold somewhere along the way there during the show. So yeah, I felt, uh, I actually slept for 12 hours last night, man. I don't care. I don't think I've done that since college. Um, I just fell asleep at seven o'clock and woke up at seven this morning. I was pretty out of it. So, um, but yeah, show was, show was fantastic. Had a, had a, I mean, just overall, the, the, entire kind of vibe of the show is just a lot of energy a lot of people um, a lot of great companies showing up it's just certainly continuing to become um, it's not like they're just yeah every year is just getting better right yeah yeah, yeah. More, in- incrementally getting better and it's not it's not they're not like getting lazy and it's declining or maintaining steady it just seems to be better every year yeah, I mean, there's certainly, not only in the hunting world, but really if you look at the the broader outdoor market and then also just trade shows in general, like obviously a lot of them took a hit at COVID and some have not recovered, some have not bounced back and some were on the decline before then and that kind of was maybe a nail in the coffin for them, but mm-hmm. uh, it has been cool for Hunt Expo because they have, yeah, just every, as you said, every year is getting better. Um They've expanded. They've opened more floor space. There's still other companies who are on wait lists to get booths. So they have, if they have the room to to add more, they have the demand um, to even have more folks there, which is great. So yeah, yeah it was definitely a good time. Um, to set context, obviously, you know, we could just talk about our experience, but we did have a podcast listener reach out and kind of two separate things. Both, I think, are worth mention and talk about i'll read part of his email he said i would love to hear how hunt expo went for you guys and the feedback you received from customers i am a k4 owner so i'm genuinely interested in the feedback and experiences from other k4 users additionally i'm curious if you guys had any time to walk around and explore any new gear that caught your eye at hunt expo by browsing Instagram, what seemed to be the most exciting to me was the Wiser Precision Bino Clamp and Prototype Ball Head. Hopefully you had a chance to take a look at those things along with any others. So that was an email from Riley, and Riley, thanks for reaching out. Uh, he mentioned first there, Steve, feedback from K4 owners, which honestly was one of my favorite parts of the show. You know, it's mm-hmm. great to go to a show like this and, of course, sell some packs, but I'm equally as excited, if not more excited, to actually talk to people who already had packs. And obviously, there's a good number of folks who either bought a K4 right when they launched at the show last year, had bought one at some point in the past year, and now were able to come chat with us and tell us about how they used it, uh, you know, over the course of the year, which was awesome. Yeah, that was. I mean, I, I feel like it was in tune with when we talk about the when you check out on our website and we're how did you hear about us and people fill out different options, right? A friend is the, the largest one that we have by far, which is awesome. And that just felt like that was at the show. Like a guy would come up, like I bought my K4 last year and he'd have one or two buddies with him. And like, you guys need to buy this pack. And, 
And then, yeah, the just talking to the other guys, it was the first really in-person thing we've had since we launched K4 last year, where we're kind of out there and talking with the customers face-to-face and just overwhelmingly positive, man. It was just fantastic. Uh, just nothing but really, really good feedback. And then, you know, definitely a lot of the guys who came from K2 or K3, like, oh, I love my pack prior. I didn't think you could do much better, but holy cow, uh, you know, the K4 is just amazing. So it's just cool, you know, especially obviously for all of us, but for me, I'm, I've got so much vested in three years designing that, that uh, pack. There's just so much work, you know, up to it to have that type of feedback is pretty cool. Other things in terms of, he mentioned walking around, exploring, seeing new gear, etc. cetera. Uh, it was pretty minimal for me just because this is such a busy show. Um, we're essentially the show floor is open. It's all hands on deck. We're in our booth. We're trying to help customers. There's certain times where it gets a little bit slower, like on Sunday or random times on Thursday to try and sneak out and see some gear. And then we'll try and walk the floor a little bit even before it opens. You know, it's just vendors inside. Um, but yeah, the, definitely some cool new stuff. I, that said, probably missed a lot of maybe what was there potentially because just didn't walk and see too much. But uh, I guess to start with, it definitely was one of the highlights or things I was really excited about, but also what Riley mentioned when he wrote in and said he saw it on Instagram was a new bino clamp and also a new prototype ball head from Wiser Precision. Um, I did get to check those out a bit and the very cool things. Um, Shane from Wiser, we actually did some pre, uh, pre-show pre hikes every morning and he joined us one morning and I got to talk with him while we were hiking a bit about that as well. But the ball head in particular is a really cool idea. Um, and again, this isn't out yet. He did have prototypes there and he's planning on releasing in the summer. Um, but to try and explain it here uh, verbally, and I will try and leave links to some things so you guys, if you're hearing this, can go check it out more. But imagine a ball head that had essentially a track within the ball that locked the vertical movement to a vertical axis. So you can essentially move directly up and down on the ball head and keep a nice vertical plane in line movement on the ball head rotation itself. And then of course, below the ball head, you had more of a typical panning base. So essentially it's a ball head that you can use more like a pan head to effectively grid. So you can, you know, lock in an elevation and pan, or you can also go vertically on a consistent axis to go up and down with your glassing. And then what's cool is there's like a detent that locks you into that vertical axis that you can also break it away from. And so if you're shooting, for example, and you get a rifle on your ball head and your tripod isn't perfectly level, you're not locked into that vertical axis that may be unlevel because the tripod itself is not level. And so you can go more to a traditional, like go out of this vertical axis, use the full rotation of a ball head, and level a rifle if you're shooting. So um, hopefully hopefully that makes sense in that verbal description. And again, I'll leave links to uh, 
I think at least on Instagram, there's a video that shows this better, but a very cool concept, Steve. Yeah, super cool. I mean, if you're not running a rifle that has, you know, Arca or whatever to connect the rifle to the tripod, then just, you know, go with the traditional three-way panhead Nighthawk. But certainly you and I, have, you've been running the ball head the last few years, and I think you're crazy. Uh, and then I've been running the Nighthawk for glassing. And then when I go to shoot, I just make it work, right? You got to like, the only way to level is leveling through the legs of the tripod to get your gun level. Uh, but th that's certainly been a, you know, if you could design something that could do both, you know, that'd be fantastic, right? Kill, yeah. you know, two birds with one stone. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, when at the show, he had some binoculars on it. And I sat behind it at the table a little bit. You know, it's, it's really hard to, um, for me, it's got to execute at a very high level on how smooth you can pan. And and really the test for that is be zoomed in with a spotting scope at full magnification and imagine the deer, you know, walk kind of out of the frame and you just need to barely move it, do that in a smooth fashion where it's not going to, you know, all of a sudden be real jumpy. And uh, at the end of the day, you just kind of got to get out the, in the field and, and test that out. Like what mm -hmm. is the, how does the head perform when it's, 80 degrees how does it perform after a week after it's filled with dust and stuff like that how does it perform in really cold weather um so yeah but for me i was like this looks awesome shane G give me a prototype as soon as you can so i can take it out honey and then get just get you some feedback yeah i know he's planning on he's starting with this lightweight version as you said i think it's um somewhere around three and three quarters ounces i think with a handle so it does have an optional handle which you can lock in different positions or remove and i think if you run it without the handle you're at like three and a quarter ounces i believe okay um and then he's also planning on building larger versions so that's kind of the ultralight one that's where he's starting more for backpacking mm. um, but he's going to take that same concept and scale it up for um, larger optics or more primary shooting use that type of thing so definitely cool stuff see where it goes um and then mentioned the bino clamp uh, was mentioned in Riley's email to us. Um, really cool, universal, lightweight design that is out now. So I will leave a link to go um, check that out if guys want to see that new bino clamp. Um, this wasn't a a new um, release at Hunt Expo by any means. The company wasn't even there. It was a scope that I was aware of, but it was the first time I put my hands on it, though. A rifle scope. And it was actually Shane's personal scope in the Wiser Precision booth. Um, he just had it on one of his personal rifles. In March, which is a Japanese company that makes rifle scopes under their own brand. Uh, they do sell here in the U.S. through a couple distributors. I've handled their stuff a little bit. Um, they have a ton of different models and configurations, etc., but one thing I had seen them announce but I hadn't put my hands on was they, they have a rifle scope or actually a few different scopes with a dual plane reticle so is it first focal plane yes is it second focal plane yes it's both and so there's two reticles in this scope and uh, Shane's was like a, a a two to ten or two and a half to ten I forget the specifics but on that low low magnification end you have a very usable duplex reticle that's essentially your second focal plane reticle that's not going to change as your zoom range changes but as you begin to zoom in and go to the higher magnification end of the scope this first focal plane reticle which is obviously growing as you increase your magnification range 
essentially becomes more apparent and kind of overlays with that duplex and gives you um, more of a Christmas tree style reticle. So you can have some reference points and some holdovers that are relevant and accurate regardless of your zoom range because it's a first focal plane reticle. And then at very, very low magnification, it almost disappears um, like in a good way and you're just left with a very simple duplex. So definitely a very interesting concept. Their scopes um, extremely known to be well-built. You can tell just by holding them very tactile. Uh, they're not cheap though. I think with the dual reticle, you're pushing almost like three grand. So if you got super mm. excited about that idea and don't have a large budget, sorry to burst that bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it looks, looks pretty legit. It just goes to show, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in rifle scopes, you know, still a lot that can be done. Uh, on rifles, Ryan Avery from Rockslide swung by our booth and we were chatting and he had his new stock. They're called the Rock Stock, I believe made by Stocky Stocks, but it's their design. Uh, their meaning Ryan and I, I think his name's Jake that he works with um, from Unknown Munitions. They have the Shoot to Hunt podcast, which is great, by the way, but they have a rock stock that is a, a unique design. Um, and if you look at it and don't understand the design intent about it, you're just like, whoa, this is a very just weird looking stock. But when you look at uh, Negative Comb and how they've designed things really for shootability, um, a very cool stock. I'm excited to hopefully try one right now. They just have a Tika inlet. They have a Remington inlet coming, which when they do that, I'm hoping to pick one up and check it out and test it. Um, but a cool stock and a very affordable price point as well. I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 550-ish bucks. Um, hmm. But again, I will have, I can add a link and take it to all those um, details and descriptions and have you guys go see more. But they launched those kind of through Rock Slide with that audience and have already sold a pile of them, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they've, Until I can figure out how to carry a, the chassis on the pack well, I'm about to just go back to a regular stock. Um, that's something I tried to address multiple times last year. The, the XLR, MDT, any any of the chassis guns are to carry on the pack and still retain quick access. Like I have not, I have to, I'm sure I'll be able to figure it out, but it's, they, uh, there's a lot of things that are going against how mounting that to the pack and like essentially using the system I we have right now to, to make it work. So uh, yeah, it's like, ah, I'm just kind of tempted to go back to a regular stock and, and give that one a shot. What else? This uh, Ivory Holsters, Gabriel over there from Ivory Holsters, who if you've listened to us for a while, you're probably familiar. He makes amazing pistol holsters, um, in particular for pack use. He has a new archery release holster. I don't know if we've mentioned it yet. Um, it's called the Robin Hood. So if you use a handheld archery release hinge or thumb button, um, go check out that. It's really cool, streamlined design. Um, works great on our packs and, and many different spots, including right there on the shoulder harness, which is neat. Just uses a single row of Molly, which we have there. So um, that was there and on display. And we had a display on one of our packs and got a ton of interest. And Gabriel's there with his booth. And yeah, if you use a handheld archery release, definitely go check that out. Again, I'll leave a link to that. 
Um, other folks that dropped by, Jay from Mindful Hunter. As the first time we got to meet him in person, and uh, we've chatted on the podcast, and we've chatted offline, and we've watched his videos, and obviously he did an independent pack review, and we chatted with him about that in the past, but super cool for him to come down to the show from Canada and walk around, and it was just great to meet him in person, and he just launched a kind of a lifestyle clothing brand for like the backcountry and mountain hunter uh, called Forged in the backcountry. Um, I'll, again, we'll leave a link to that, but uh, we actually have a new episode coming out with Jay. Uh, I think I will release it this Friday as a bonus episode because it's one of the episodes we released later in 2023, I think in December, but because we ended up doing so many episodes here at the beginning of 2024 in the state game and fish agencies, it's one of the episodes I was like, oh man, we need to get this thing out there. It was a great conversation. So look for that to come Friday with Jay from Mindful Hunter. And also check out the link in the show description if you want to check out uh, his new apparel brand, which has got some cool stuff going. One of the things you did, Steve, that I never got around to was to go shoot some bows. Any takeaways there? Uh, Yeah, I shot. Matthews was there and I had not shot their new lift. Went and checked that out. Actually, one of their engineers slash designers was there, which was cool to have a, wasn't just some, uh, you know, some kid who didn't know anything about the bow. I was actually able to ask more technical questions and dive into it and shot the bow and looked, um, shot very well, looked impressive. I, I know part of the content project that I want to do this summer is kind of do some bow reviews. And I definitely think I'll include that in there. Um, And then, yeah, shot the RX-8 from Hoyt. Uh, very impressed. The fact that the one I shot had no, there's no vibration dampening in it at all, right? No, no rubber in the limbs, nothing. And that thing was as quiet and dead in the hand as I've ever shot, which was uh, pretty impressive. I was sitting there looking at like, like no rubber dampener, really? This thing's gonna twang and you know have a lot of hand shock and nothing. So yeah, really impressed with that. So definitely have those two in the review and break them down i'll probably set them up tune them you know just kind of go through the whole process see see what one shoots better or not but the problem with the, the damn bow world right now is it's like every year these companies are coming out with new models so the time you do like a really thorough year-long review uh and the next model is going to come out and it could be they're in such a i mean one of the one of the leaders hoyt or matthews the bigger bow companies has got to set like a new trend of like, hey, this is stupid. Like, we need to get on a three or four year cycle where you actually can, you know, thoroughly make enhancements, improvements to to the models, and not just throwing a new bow out there just because the marketing world dictates it. Um, but anyway, that's a separate subject, I guess. But yeah, that's it. Do this really in depth review, and then, uh, you know, it comes out in August, and then <laughs> then Dude, by the October, the new new, the new bow yeah. released. Yeah, it's just. It's stupid. I don't know why they're all they all got sucked into doing it. Yeah, that's the thing is not only are they doing it every year, but they've pushed and it's earlier and earlier. It's no longer yeah. a December announcement, January release at ATA show. It's like, oh, hunting season just started. Here's next year's bow. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's 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 just silly, frankly. I and from a like last year launching K four. You know, obviously we're a small company. Things are a little different, but it is a all hands on deck. I mean, you're redoing all the content, rebuilding the website, all the photos, um, building new product pages, the amount of back end work that goes into launch a new product. 
is extensive. And to do that every single year with a new bow, like I can't even imagine. It's, it's such a waste of time and energy, frankly. Um, yeah, sorry. All Separate good. rant. <laughs> we had a a bow question come in and again i think we'll we'll go more in depth on some of these topics both with the content project but just some future podcasts we have planned but um i think it's a good starting talking point tyler wrote in and said hey mark and steve i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about bow axle to axle length for backcountry hunting do you think a shorter bow is better for packability or a longer bow or supposedly more stable shooting. I'd like your opinions and to know what you guys personally do. Thanks for your time. I I don't know if I'm like being nitpicky, but he said supposedly better, or sorry, he said supposedly more stable shooting. What are your general mm-hmm. thoughts on axle to axle length and stability, Steve? Well, one, you, certainly, and we're getting old. Um, or been doing this a while, I feel like, you know, 15 to 20 years ago, if you go look at a bow, they were much different, very short risers, non-parallel limbs, right? Like long limbs. And the, at the end of the day, what matters is the amount of mass that's away from the handle at full draw, right? Like the distance, think of, um, think of riser length, ATA, uh, axle axle measurement the exact same on the vertical plane as running a really long stabilizer is on the horizontal plane right the further that weight is away from the hand the more inertia it's going to take to move that weight the more that weight out at the end is going to resist that the more stable you're going to be um, very very simple physics um so that absolutely applies to axle to axle right at full draw the more weight that's the further away from your hand the better What's changed with more modern bows is these really long risers past parallel limbs where, you know, I would say when I was, you know, 15 years ago, so early, mid 2000s, um, God, that's 20 years ago. Holy crap. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, a, a bow that was 30 four and under was considered very short and and a longer axle axle bow would have been like 36 to 40 uh, and now it's i would say you know 30 and under is considered very short and the longer ones are 33 to 34 uh the so they're definitely like you because of the new riser designs you can get away with shorter axle to axle bows um, and still have as much, if not more, of a stable platform as, as 15 years ago. Um, that's my thought. Uh, as in general, absolutely, uh, you know, um, whether you're going, like, say, Matt, Matthews, Hoyt, they all do the same thing, right? They've got their short version, the Lift 29 and a half, and the Lift 30. I don't, I don't even know what the other one is, 33, 30, something like that. Mm-hmm. Hoyt with the RX-8 and the 8 Ultra. Um, I believe. Yeah. Um, same difference, exact same bow, just longer risers. So that, that longer one's always going to be more stable, just like everything though. I mean, you can go look at rifles real quickly and say, all right, yeah, oh, a, a longer barrel is better, right? Like higher velocity. Well, there's also downsides to that longer barrel, right? It's, um, I guess a little different than bows, but it's just going to be more, more to carry through the woods. I mean, there is a point of what I would say, you know, diminishing returns. 
how much accuracy are you gaining and is it worth the um the added complexity whatever that is of packing that around in the field with you i've personally found that i shoot these really short bows very well uh i don't you know i used to competitively shoot 3d stuff a lot uh, and i don't do that anymore really understanding that like you know pie plate accuracy and that's a that's a terrible term but in reality like that's what you, as long as you can do that whether you know whether your limit's 40 yards or 80 yards if you can put all your arrows you know inside of a six inch eight inch circle every single time uh that's good enough right uh so sure i know i would shoot a longer bow a little bit better and maybe score 10 extra points at a tournament but the actual in the in the field, I appreciate the shorter bows. You know, when they're mounted to the pack, I can they're they're so short now I can mount them flush to the bottom so the cam isn't sticking down below the bottom of the pack. And at the same time, it's not sticking way over the head, catching on brush and things like that. Um, definitely, this is all stuff I'm excited to like really do a bunch of YouTube videos on this summer with the content project and and just kind of go through some of these pros and cons and helping people make these decisions. Um, but yeah, there's certainly like one of the rants I want to go on is, is all the people out there like, you need to go shoot your bow every single day. And uh, it's like, there's actually way better. Like if, if your goal is to kill more animals uh, and time is a limited resource, which it is for all of us, shooting your bow every single day is pretty ridiculous. Like, you know, you don't need to do that. Um, not that it's going to hurt um, anything, but it's certainly like there's other things that are more valuable for your time than doing that every single day. Mm-hmm. or if it is every day it's like the benefit of three very very quality intentional shots versus like right, going out for half an hour and just flinging arrows yeah 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 i mean my my journey i guess is a little bit similar like echoing that point on how just bow geometry is has helped um you know i'm a little bit longer draw anywhere from usually 30 and a half ish inches, like anywhere between 30 to 31 inches, depending on the bow. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember shooting 35, 36 inch axle to axle bows, and that was my sweet spot. But with geometry changes and increases of riser length versus limb geometry, you know, shooting essentially today's 33 ish inch bows, you know, with the same level of kind of comfort um, that I did those longer bows earlier. And part of that is the riser mass uh, part of that's just string angle you know with having a longer draw length i've never liked the super short especially the older mm-hmm. shorter bows and having that real tight string angle just wasn't comfortable uh, or as consistent for me so um, with the way that geometry has changed being able to have a theoretically like well not theoretically a true shorter x-axle bow but with a more effective string angle at my draw length it's been helpful and then, you know, just the point of, like he mentioned, more stability in axle-to-axle length and what we talked about with, like, risers, that matters. But then, and I think it's common to then go to, like, stability, okay, stabilizers and weight and balance and all that. That's true. One thing I think it's overlooked, though, is just people who don't really pay attention to draw length. And sometimes quite minor changes in draw length just help you create a lot more comfort and stability at full draw. 
And so that's one thing I think is a little bit of a sleeper for folks at times is maybe they do kind of a quick rushed, like this is my draw length that's set in stone. And maybe they even bounce from bow to bow or brand to brand and just assume like I'm a 29 inch draw, period, end of story. But if you do a little bit of testing and experimenting, I'd almost equate it to like what we recommend with packs, Steve, like go on a hike spend some time you know 30 40 minutes an hour then make a change to that harness adjustment like make a change does it feel better or is it worse you know and i think it's pretty similar with draw lengths i know it's not necessarily easy with a bow um at times it depends obviously on your cam system do you need to press it to change draw length what type of micro adjust do you have etc but i do think it is worth investing some time into especially if you are going to be shooting this bow for uh, a while and not be on the yearly upgrade program. So that's just another thing when I hear stability, I think it's a little bit underlooked um, at times. So there's a lot to it for sure. And again, happy to go into more on that in the future, both with uh, some of the video content stuff you're talking about, Steve, as well as some of the archery stuff we want to do on the podcast. To wrap up with this one, and again, guys, we have some great question so we're going to keep these rolling for monday minutes and as always if you have a question send it to us just uh email at podcast or email to podcast at xmountgear.com this last one's more of a comment than a question but we recently talked on a monday minute i believe the, the latest episode steve about that guy who was brand new to hunting what should he do and we talked about narrowing his focus and like getting really specific of I didn't just want to learn to hunt in general, but like, here's what I want to do. Narrow your focus. Don't get distracted, etc. Brian wrote in as a follow-up to that. And it said, I heard the Monday minute question about trying to get into hunting as a completely new beginner. Something that might help is the first hunt foundation. They're a nationwide organization and might have a mentor in the area for that gentleman who was on the podcast. So Brian, thanks for sharing that. I don't know that I've heard of this, Steve. Uh, and again, so I, I'm not endorsing them because I don't really know anything about them, but I did look at the website. It looks like a cool organization and program where essentially they can match a new hunter to a hunting mentor. Um, so again, it's called the First Hunt Foundation. I'll leave a link to that in the show description as well. But maybe something cool to check out no matter kind of where you're at in the country. It looked like they had you know, different ways that you can search and maybe find someone who's just willing to help you get started or maybe even get in the field and get you a little bit of experience in certain ways. So I thought that was a cool follow-up, something I'd never heard of. Uh, and thanks again to Brian for sharing that with us. Once again, guys, if you do have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for us, send an email to podcast at xmountgear.com or look for the link in the show description to SpeakPipe. You can also leave us an audio message using whatever device you're on. If you haven't yet, be sure to hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. We're going to have a brand new episode coming out tomorrow because today's Tuesday and we normally release full-length podcasts on Wednesday. And again, a bonus episode on Friday. So be sure to tune in. Don't miss those and let us know if there's a question you have for us. We'll talk to you soon.